Welcome to Forever Leads. Hello and welcome back to Forever Leeds for the final time this spring term. This is the podcast for anyone who's been a student at Leeds or wants to be one. All brought to you by the University of Leeds Advancement Team. I'm Rich Williams and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Georgia Lay. Georgia, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. The sun's shining on campus. The sun is shining on campus. There's a little bit of blossom on the trees. The, the ducklings are back in Roger Stevens Pond. Having the time of their life waiting for the summer term. They uh, are. So it's all good. What's been happening around campus? What have you been getting involved in? Well, sports season is back. So the Christie Cup is happening today in Liverpool. I'm not personally a sports person, but I've been hearing all about it. Um, and Varsity, everyone's starting to prep for that again. Um, so that's all very exciting. It's all happening. Okay, um, it's our final episode of Forever Leads for the spring term. What's coming up? We have a food special in the first half of this episode as we are joined by food broadcaster Jay Rayner. He's here to tell us all about his path to becoming the UK's best restaurant critic and the craziest stories he's covered in Leeds as an editor. And if you missed our Leeds student special, remember to check out our previous episode. Plus, in the latest Leeds research news, we have Professor Anwisha Sarkar enlightening us on what makes chocolate so irresistible. Not only that, but... Do you like a little bit of musical theatre from time to time? And we have the musical supervisor of the stage phenomenon six on this episode. Katie Richardson went from waving the baton in Riley Smith Hall to West End success. And our roving reporter Tom Davey is on the trail of a rare campus sighting. Powdered paint covered students. He's delving into the holy festival celebrations with students right here on campus. Now, our first guest, Jay Rayner, has tasted some of the best and the worst food the country has to offer. How did he go from editor of Lee's Student to teasing Greg Wallace on MasterChef? Let's find out. Hello, my name is Jay Rayner. I'm a journalist, writer and broadcaster, probably best known as the restaurant critic for The Observer and as the presenter of BBC Radio Force, The Kitchen Cabinet. I went to Leeds University for my degree from 1984 to 1987 and then stayed in Leeds for another year from 87 to 88 to edit the student paper. The latter bit isn't an accident. It was always the intention. It sounds horribly precocious, but there it is. I therefore applied for Leeds twice on my UCA form. It was my first choice for a course called Political and Parliamentary Studies. It was a very famous course, only six people, I think, a year. The four-year course in the third year, you spent six months at Westminster and six months in the US at Congress working with a with a congressman. And then at third place, I put the political studies course. I obviously got rejected for the uh, political and parliamentary studies course, but I got on an offer of two Bs and a C for political studies. And I was delighted because I remember my visit to Leeds very, very well. It was, I think, February of 84. It was certainly very, very cold. And I finally only made it into the union as dusk was falling. And the, the the big student union building was brightly lit. And it's very odd, but it's absolutely true. I walked into that building and I immediately felt at home. And I knew that I could have a very nice time there. The course was fine. The, the, the conversations with tutors and all that stuff, political studies, fine. But it was the feeling of standing in that student's union that made me think, yes, this is where I need to be. 
when I look back at what kind of a student I was, I'm slightly mystified at how good a degree I got. I mean, I, I kind of got into it towards the end. I found the first year very tough indeed. I, I think I only got through by the skin of my teeth. I, I you know, I, I, I scored very, very badly on those for end of first year exams. Somewhere in the second and third year, I did get it together. and I did get a 2-1. Um, and I did enjoy doing my dissertation, which was on British political theatre, 1956 to 1968. But really, if you ask me about my time at university, yes, uh, the you know the the academic stuff was interesting enough, and I still use certain things that I learned during the politics degree I did there as part of my journalism. But my interests were elsewhere. So not only was I involved in the student paper very much to a great degree. I mean, I became features editor at the end of the second term of my first year and continued that all the way through the second year, then news editor in my third year and then editor. But I also did an awful lot of student drama. But, you know, I I was involved with everything. Uh, I was everywhere, doing everything all the time. I think my standout memory, a couple of standout memories of being editor of Leeds Student, one of them was that we ran quite a, a, a strong campaign against the music school which had banned its lesbian and gay sock basically a bunch of homophobic nasty people uh, and I constantly ran stories about that and I remember walking through the center of Leeds and there on the um, you know the boxes that they advertised the contents of the Yorkshire Post that evening what it said was music college to sue student editor and <laughs> Well, that's that's interesting. I'd better buy a copy of the Yorkshire Evening Post and find out what's happening. They never did sue us um, because it was true. They had banned the, the lesbian and gay sock. And the other memory was uh, there was a sit-in while I was um, the editor. I can't remember what it was, but it was almost certainly about the university cutting the union grant. And uh, because I, I remember that part of the issue was that it was going to affect our budget as well as the, as the, as the student paper. And so I came up with a plan, which was that the front cover would be completely blank, apart from the words in the centre in 12 point, you'll have less than this to read on a Friday if the university gets its way. I'm so proud of that cover. The main problem was that um, the demo was on a Thursday and we came out on a Friday and normally we locked the paper on a Wednesday night. And so we set up this whole rather dramatic system of photographers and copy and had a dispatch rider waiting outside the student union to take the page I think it was just the raw copy in the photographs we told them to lay it out in Preston but I remember doing that and thinking oh this is proper newspaper work I started to make my first forays into paid journalism while I was the editor of the paper I remember selling a few to the Guardian diary and was sort of slightly startled at how straightforward it was you know, call the switchboard, ask for the Guardian diary, say who you were. Hello, I'm the, I'm Jay Rayner. I'm the editor of the student paper in Leeds. I think I've got a story for you. Tell them what it was. And then they sent me a check. I thought, really? Is that, is that how it works? And then the, the real breakthrough came when basically in 87, 88, the broadsheets were working on the basis that if they could get readers while they were still students, they could hold them for life. And therefore, they all started doing student supplements. And first out of the gate, as I recall, was the Independent. But their um, first student supplement had nothing in it about polytechnics at all, as as then were. It was all universities. There was not a single reference to anything else. And the Leeds Poly, who partly funded Leeds Student, were um, up in arms about this. 
and I thought rightly so. So I called the editor of the Independent Student Supplement, Peter Wilby, and interviewed him about this, said who I was, and wrote a piece. And then a, a couple of weeks later, um, he called me and he said, could, could, you, could you get somebody to write a letter to us complaining? And I said, yes, yeah, I can do that. And there was a pause and I said, anything I can do for you? And he said, yes, why don't you write the My Week column? Uh, which was a sort of, you know, picture bylined column of things that have been going on in the life of the student editor of Lead Students. So, uh, and I did that, and that was my first ever piece in a national paper, even if it wasn't a student supplement, but it really was my calling card because it had appeared in something that a lot of people were looking at. And if people say, what, you know, what, what do you, where did your first real break come? I would say it was that, that column in the Independence Student Supplement. It's funny, when I um, was editing Lead Student, I wasn't someone who was planning to be a restaurant critic when I grew up. I wanted to be a proper journalist. In fact, actually, at first, I think I thought I wanted to be an editor. But quickly, when I got to London, I, it became clear that that wasn't going to be the route for me. But at no point did I harbour any thoughts about being, you know, a restaurant critic. I don't even think at that point restaurant critics had really happened in the UK press because Jonathan Meads and Paul Levy didn't really start doing this until about 88. But we did do occasionally single themed editions of uh, Lead Student. Um, there'd been one under my predecessor on travel and then I did one on drugs. So the, the whole issue would be completely themed. And actually, the cover of the drugs issue was fantastic. It was, you know, 28 pages on drugs, but the, the picture was a hand round a pint of beer and a fag, you know, smoke whispering upwards. And then the other, the, the other single issue edition we did was food. Um, and I got a cake iced for the masthead. And we managed to do it in three colour, which was very exotic at that point. And that contained my very first restaurant review. Not that it really counts because we were comped on all of them, but we, we I sent everybody to fan out across Leeds to review restaurants. And I reviewed a place called Manfred's, a really nice Italian. I've reread that review and I blush at it. But I did publish some of the very first recipe columns that Leeds students have seen in a very long time. Uh, by a chap called Chris Donkin, who I think had actually gone to my school as well, year below me. Um, so there was an interest in food. And I look back at that food edition, I still got the bound copy, and think, yeah, well, there were signs, weren't there? There were definitely signs. I really think that Leeds in the 80s, for me, I can't generalise, I don't know what it was like afterwards because I wasn't there. But for, for me in the 80s, it was that ultimate brilliant playground in which you can try a whole bunch of things and there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that I became very much who I am today because of those four years if I had to pick up one memory of my time at Leeds which sort of <laughs> makes me smile and sums it up it was standing on the roof of a building opposite the students union on the day of the sit-in and seeing our dispatch rider pull up to the steps through a crowd, because there was a crowd outside the Union as well, part of the demo. It was a big demonstration day. and thinking, there's my dispatch rider to get my page off. And I'm having the time of my life. Uh... 
So let's move from judging food to food science. Our next guest, Professor Anwisha Sarkar, has dedicated her career to working out how the texture of food changes the way we eat it and even the way it tastes. And she's here to tell us all about the secret to making food more delicious. Thank you, first and foremost, for giving us a bit of time being here on Forever Leads with us. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. Anwisha, you you might have crunchy crisps or chewy toffee. And we do know that when you eat food, the texture is important and you notice it and you like it. But why is it important to study it? So if you if you think from a very evolutionary history, you know, even even a fruit fly decides the texture and decides whether it's a harmful fruit or a, or a poisonous fruit or a, or a nice one to have. So texture is very important even for deciding what is, you know, good for you or what is bad for you. But for us, it is very important to understand appreciation for food, which is very, very unnoticed because we always talk about taste, which is all about chemosensory perception. But texture, how it's crunchy, chewy, or, you know, friction, viscosity, these are very important elements, not only to decide things like appreciation for food, but also how much you take food inside. So the food intake or the nutritional intake, weight management, and so on. So a lot can be done with texture, and we are very much excited to work on this area. Fantastic. Let's talk chocolate for a moment because a lot of people will be thinking I have a piece of chocolate it tastes delicious Um, but there's a a whole science behind that isn't there and this is the work that you've been doing recently that's really come to prominence that people have have read about that news has picked up on and you've been getting phone calls about as well which we'll, we'll get on to but for most of us we put a piece of chocolate in our mouth it's yummy thank you very much but there's a lot more to it than that isn't there yeah yeah. So so chocolate is interesting. We always talk to people and, and I'm a chocolate lover as well. And we always talk to people and say, do you like chocolate? Yes. I Means hardly you will hear that they don't. Uh, but we were trying to understand what is it? Is it the fat? And is it the sugar? Is it what is it which makes chocolate so delicious? People crave for it. And what we were interested to understand that how lubrication matters here. How does it melt in your mouth, lubricates and so on? And the question we we asked was very different from generally asked question is that does fat matter? Yes, it does. It's, It's not a big deal. But what we were asking is where does the fat matter? Does the fat matter when it is just coming in contact with your tongue or does the fat matter inside? And what we did very differently was we actually made artificial tongue, so which actually behaves like a real human tongue because it's soft, it's rough, um, it has the hydrophilicity of a, of a real human tongue. And we were rubbing the chocolate against it. And what was really exciting and to our surprise was fat throughout the chocolate doesn't behave the same way. It's it's really at the, at the surface of the chocolate where it matters a lot. But when it's inside, it's actually not because then it has mixed with saliva and saliva takes the lead role on, on all of your perception. So what we were saying is that potentially next generation chocolate can be something like, you know, you have fat at the coating, but not so much inside. So a bit more interesting layered chocolate we were uh, discussing because we know fat has a a calorie content which bothers many people. Uh, So it can be exciting way not to lose any delicious aspect, but uh, uh, but, you know, reduce the calorie content by understanding the science, the underpinning science behind it. 
And then so moving away from chocolate to plant-based food, obviously we know the benefits of eating plant-based, but I feel like it's not always known as the tastiest choice. So how can we improve the taste of those foods? So, of course, we all know that we eventually most likely need to transition to plant-based to achieve our net zero targets. And we did actually a, a testing in our school with a lot of people and brought all the commercial products. And honestly, they don't taste good at all. Well, like some are pretty, pretty bad. So we, we thought there has to be something done. And one of the things what we find is it's the plant-based proteins, which have very bitter taste, off taste, astringency, dryness. So we are at University of Leeds are looking at this, uh, that how plant protein interacts with saliva and mm. how can we improve a synergistic relationship with saliva. So this is one of the very important area for us at the moment. I, I don't know in embarrass you by mentioning that you've been rewarded for your, your work, Women of Achievement, role of honour here at the, the university as someone leading the way in, in STEM and a woman in STEM as well in an industry where they're still wanting to get more and more women and there might be parents of kids who are thinking about what they're going to do to university. What is it like working in that that area, that sector, and is it great to see more and more women coming through? It's very exciting. I was very proud to receive this award. It was appreciation for the entire team. And my team is uh, very, very diverse uh, in terms of subjects, uh, in terms of uh, gender, in terms of career stage and so on. And I believe these kind of awards are very, very good recognition to tell young girls and women that, you know, science is exciting, science is fun and always rewarding as well. And, you know, you should be proud of the discussion as you do. So it's amazing. Come and join us. And you've been at Leeds since 2014. What is it about Leeds that you love so much? Well, I, I moved from industry to academia. So it was twofold. One is from moving to, from industry to academia and, and another is to Leeds. Uh, both, I will say one thing which was eye-opening for me is the spirit of collaboration. You know, I can, I can talk to a physicist, a chemist, a psychologist, biologist, a dentist. It's amazing. They embrace questions with open arm. I can use any facilities. There is no barrier, no silos. So this is absolutely fantastic. I can I can realize my dreams here, which I don't think many of the places have. So it's, it's pretty amazing to be in Leeds and I want to continue being here. It's been so nice chatting with you. All the best with the research. We'll definitely be uh, looking out for it and uh, looking out for those uh, future healthier chocolates as well. Yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Next up, if you are a fan of musical theatre, boy, do we have a treat for you. Leeds alum and musical director genius Katie Richardson is here to tell us all about what it's like behind the theatre curtain and how a student society transformed her life. Hi, I'm Katie. I went to the University of Leeds from 2011 to 2014 and I studied BA Music. And I am now the UK musical supervisor for Sixth Musical and the musical supervisor for Bonnie and Clyde. I was musical director for, for Beauty and the Beast in the Riley Hall for Stage Musical Society and also of uh, High School Musical <laughs> in the Riley Smith Hall for Stage Musical Society. And that was in my final year. Uh, those were the sort of the, I think, the first big shows with an element of budget that I did. Prior to that, I did do, I am, I am did a few shows for uh, Musical Theatre Society, Big Rivals, Controversial, I did both of them. 
And I also was musical director for a company that was semi-professional and wrote original musicals, which we took to the Fringe. So I was lucky enough to go to the Fringe as MD in 2012 and 2013. The great thing about MDing is you're one of the people that really gets to understand and deal with people that work in every single element. Like as the MD, you have to work with the actors and the musicians, obviously, but also very heavily with the director, the choreographer, the stage management, because sometimes they need cues. Um, you're very heavily linked to the sound department. Um, so basically, you just end up speaking to everyone and getting a really complete understanding of what is going on in the show. I suppose my first MD of a first class was six, which I'm obviously still associated with. But that was, yeah, in 2018. And that was the Edinburgh Fringe production that was also did a very small UK tour. Six is a musical about the six wives of Henry VIII, but it's what if they had the chance to come back to life in the modern day and tell the stories from their side of things rather than Henry's side of things. That's the concept and how it appears is more like a pop concert than anything else. So it's hyper modern (laughs) and a lot of fun. It was an amazing project to be involved with. I think because of the nature of the show, they tried very hard to hire women in all departments, but particularly an all-female band, which it's funny because it was only five years ago, but at, at the time that felt absolutely groundbreaking. So it was being working with far more women than I'd ever worked with before and being involved in the inception of something which we felt like it was going to be big, I think. We felt like it was going to be good and everyone was very collaborative and tried really hard to make sure that every single part of it was cohesive with every other department. And it's not that often that a project like that comes around. So yeah, I will really always treasure that time. It was interesting at the start because really it was a fringe show. There was a small regional tour, but it wasn't a first class production or considered to be one in terms of how people rate the level of productions. It was a small UK tour at Edinburgh Fringe. I mean, it was in the Purple Cow at 7.30, which is sort of the the premium Edinburgh Fringe spot, but it's still a fringe show. And then originally it was going to be three weeks at the Arts Theatre, which is the Off West End Theatre. So that still felt like it was a fringe show. And then that got extended. And then we got told that it was coming, you know, it was going to open full time at the Arts. It's officially the smallest West End Theatre. And then... From I had a different job, so I left for a bit and then came back and was lucky enough that I was able to come back to my position as MD. It was about six weeks after it reopened at the Arts Theatre permanently. And uh, the day that I had my first day back was the day that the Olivier nominations came out that year. And we were all just watching them because we're ultimately theatre fans and like to see who's nominated. And then all of a sudden, Six starts getting nominated for stuff, including, you know, all of the queens got joint nominated for Best Supporting Actress in a Musical and got nominated for Outstanding Achievement in Music and Best New Musical. And I just remember us all, cry, you know, just phoning each other and crying and couldn't believe it. And then going into work that day and seeing everyone and none of us, none of us could believe it at all. And that's when it really started to go mad, basically. <laughs> we, you know, we we performed on Britain's Got Talent. We performed at the Olivier's in the Royal Albert Hall, which is still to this day the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. Every single show was sold out and we ended up having to have security guards at the theatre because the crowds were so mad and they were quite often actors sign autographs at stage door. But this was the first time I've ever seen it that that we were, me and the other musicians were being asked for our autographs and photos with us as well. And, And then we found out it was going to Broadway and 
yeah, it was just, it was a very, that year was a very, very crazy year. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde, the musical is coming back to the Garrick Theatre this year after a short run at the Arts Theatre last year. And it's a great little show about Bonnie and Clyde, the characters we know, you know, they were also real people, which I think we forget sometimes. I really have enjoyed working on it. It's The music's amazing. It's composed by Frank Wildhorn, who also wrote Jekyll and Hyde, among a few other musicals. But it sounds very different to other musicals. It's all country and western and rockabilly and really feels like it's from the deep south of America. So it's been a lot of fun to work on and, and the cast are brilliant and I'm really excited we get to do it again. After Bonnie and Clyde, I am taking a short trip to South Korea to work on Six in South Korea in Korean. It's the first ever foreign language production of Six, so we're really looking forward to doing that. And I'm really excited to be able to live and work in Seoul for a little while. And then after that, we'll have to wait and see. One big standout Leeds memory. I think it's very tricky for me to pinpoint it to one memory, but I can pinpoint it to one thing, which is Stage Musical Society. I wasn't exaggerating when I said that the friends I made there are still my best friends now. They really still are. So, yeah, thanks to Lise for that. Finally, I think it's fair to say that Leeds has been pretty grey this winter, but spring is very much in the air, and one day, so was powdered paint. What was going on? Tom Davy went to investigate the Holy Festival celebrations. Walking onto the university campus on the 8th of March, most students were hurriedly shuffling past and avoiding the heavy falling white snow. But outside the Union was a spectacle of colour. A huge banner and quite a few students were covered in coloured powder and celebrating the start of the Hindu festival Holi. I joined in with the festivities and asked students about the significance of the festival and how they were celebrating it this year. Happy Oli. Happy Oli. Um, I'm part of the university's podcast and I'm going around asking people how they're celebrating Holi today. We can show you. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> I was very quickly shown what Holi was all about and left far more colourful than when I arrived. Um, so Holi is the festival of colours and for me it's just having fun with your friends like uh, partying, uh, throwing colours on each other and like the main uh, motive behind Holi is to like put out all the negativity in, in your life and uh, embrace positivity. Normally it's with water and the colours but since it's so cold we can't play with water. <laughs> <laughs> look at the colour. Yeah. It's vibrant. That's it. And look how people are. Yeah. That's, that's the greatest thing. If you could just say your, your name. Mohana. I'm from Business Analytics and Decision Sciences Master's course. Uh, uh, what does Holi mean to you? So ideally, back in India, the festival of Holi celebrated uh, as a symbol of the victory of good over evil. The nice. victory of uh, your belief in the God over uh, demons. The actual old adage of Holi itself is Burana Mano Holi Hai, that which means that please don't feel bad, it's Holi. It's supposed to be celebrated in a happy spirit and a good spirit. No matter if you know the person or not, you're still supposed to be uh, celebrating it with everyone around just like a whole big family a whole big community oh, and that's, that's what the spirit of holy is all about oh fantastic well happy holy guys happy holy thank you thank you so if you could just introduce yourselves please uh, namaste we are the co-presidents for nhsf leave uh, i'm sham and i'm the pasha Cool, and uh, can you tell me what's going on here today then, so guys? Today we're celebrating Holi, the Festival of Colours, uh, and we're doing some canvas painting for anyone to enjoy. It's a time to like meet friends, meet family, come together and celebrate. It's also like 
the time like start of spring and like a fresh start new beginnings so it's just like a reminder you know the darkness is over and the brightness is coming back again uh, my name is sanskriti i'm shell it's the first time we're away from home so it's definitely like we're missing home but uh, i have my friends here and uh, we're celebrating holi with like our friends here so it's fun yeah i think we're going to party on saturday maybe yeah, yeah that's it i'm just going to eat some indian food today and, and you said that this was your first holi away from family yeah. and things how does that compare it is different and difficult for sure uh, like my family back home they're all celebrating i miss the food yeah of course that's the main part but uh, i'm so glad i have my friends here who like make it feel like home despite the cold weather fun and laughter kept us warm at the holy event on campus i felt incredibly welcomed by those who were there holy is a time for hope positivity and new beginnings as the weather slowly gets better Those who celebrated Holi will have fond memories to get them through to warmer days and will have made memories which will last forever. Is there any final things you you want to you want to say about Holi? I guess a... we just like to wish everyone a happy Holi. Yeah, happy, nice. happy Holi. Happy Holi. And that's the end of Forever Leads for the spring term. But before we go, it has been a tough few months and while everyone is feeling the pinch, your donations continue to change the lives of the brilliant students who study at Leeds. By supporting Leeds students through the alumni network, people from less advantaged backgrounds can have the same exceptional experiences at Leeds that we've all enjoyed. With your help, students who are the first in their family or area to go to university can be supported throughout their studies. They may have caring responsibilities or have been in care themselves. So when you donate, you really do transform the futures of our best and brightest minds. Alumni donors support scholarships and help students afford the everyday essentials that are costing more than ever. University can also be a massive change and at times it can be isolating. So your generosity also supports students through the Plus program, where dedicated professionals help the next generation of students to adjust to university life. Do you want to help the most promising students Leeds has to offer? Make a donation today by visiting bit.ly/slash Forever Lead Students. That's bit.ly/foreverleadstudents. And that is it for the spring term and actually this is the last ever Forever Leads. I hold it together. Uh, over the last 20 months we've had an amazing time interviewing the great and the good who studied at Leeds from Hollywood A-listers to MPs. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, but don't worry, you'll still be able to get your podcast fix from the University of Leeds. We'll be launching a brand new weekly podcast called Leeds Voices. Expect more interviews with famous alumni, in-depth shows on global issues, and exciting new developments from Leeds world-leading researchers. The podcast will be released every Friday, starting from Friday the 5th of May. If you're already a subscriber to the Forever Leads podcast, our new podcast will land straight into your feed. Thanks for listening to Forever Leads and we'll see you next month on Leads Voices. Bye for now. Forever Leads was presented by Rich Williams and George Lay and produced by Andrew Harrison with Kasia Tomashevich. Audio production was by me, Jade Bailey. with audio packages by Tom Davey. Forever Leads is a Podmasters production for the University of Leeds advancement team. 